Do you know what I use to record these podcasts? It's Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or a computer. It's all really, really easy. It's all really intuitive. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. Good afternoon. Welcome to Sports Another But Sports with Kent Sterling for Wednesday, January 28th, 2020. Brought to you by the great people at Today's Dentistry. Call Dr. Mike O'Neill. Make an appointment to see the best dentist ever. He's been my dentist for 26 years. 317-849-2933. Ask for Dr. Mike. How about that? We're joined today. Uh, we're having lunch at the McAllisters. Uh, the great Mark Monteith from Pacers.com, formerly of the Indianapolis Star, and I having a nice lunch. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for lunch. So, um, my pleasure. Uh, tonight, we've got the Pacers and the Bulls, and of course, it's Victor Oladipo's return. We got a chance to talk to Vic yesterday and talk to Nate uh, yesterday. We'll hear from Nate a little bit later when he does kind of his pregame thing. We don't really know how this is going to work at this point, do we? No, we don't. Uh, Nate would not say whether he's starting and how much he will play. He'll obviously be on a minutes limitation. My guess is he'll come off the bench. You know, these starters, of course, we don't even know if uh, Miles Turner's playing or Malcolm Brogdon's playing as we speak now, but uh, it would be kind of weird to throw a victim to that starting lineup when he really hasn't even scrimmaged with these guys uh, the past few months. So my guess is he'll come off the bench and he'll play 15 to 20 minutes, something like that. He's been practicing. He should be in decent shape. But usually when a guy's been out this long, you don't throw him out there for starter minutes, and you probably don't even throw him into the starting lineup. You know, Nate kind of scoffed at the idea that he's going to be anywhere near what he was before the injury because being off for a year is really, really difficult. And and I get what you're saying about starting, but it, at some point he's going to have to migrate into the starting lineup and figure out how to play with Brogdon and figure out how to play with T.J. Warren. He's already got a pretty good idea with Domas and with Miles. But that that assimilation, if you can expedite that a little bit, that would be the only argument I can think of for having him start and play with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think after tonight they have a couple days of practice before Saturday's game, so they could put him with the starters then. Uh, and, you know, I guess just do it gradually, have to work him into it gradually. Uh, they're lucky that they have seven of the next eight at home. Yeah. And uh, not all these games are Armageddon, so they can, uh, like the Bulls, are really weakened by injury. They're not that good to begin with. So you can get away with some rust, I think, some uh, awkward moments, some preseason-type games where you're getting to know one another. Uh, they probably can get away with some of that and still win games. What do you think of Vic? Like, before the injury, and and I love him, right? I mean, I, I interviewed him in Bloomington before he was a freshman, just right when he first got on campus, and I've always liked him. So this isn't casting any kind of negativity or dislike toward him, but I wouldn't always find what he was selling. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But yesterday, talking to us, I didn't see it as kind of Vic the brand. I saw it as sort of a, a sort of a new, more mature Vic. You, you think that's you think it's the moment, or that he's kind of matured a little bit? Yeah, I'm sure he's matured. Uh, he talks like he has, how he appreciates things more now, that type of thing. That's a standard response. But I'm curious what he's going to be now because I still see moments of 
I, 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 me, 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 yeah. this kind of thing. And he's got a huge ego, which is okay. The great ones have egos. The question is, will he assimilate to this particular team and and not be a distraction? Will he make his teammates better? Because Victor can address every weakness the Pacers have, I think, in one way or another. I mean, they, they're a poor rebounding team. He rebounds the guard position well. Their pace is slow. He's got a fast pace. They need more three-point shots. He can get off three-point shots. Um, he's got the quickness to get to the basket and get an easy basket for a teammate. Uh, he's a first-team all-defense member. You know, always need to, their perimeter defense is not good. He can address that. Uh, so he can. I mean, he's exactly what they need. But the question to me is: Is he going to come in and want to score thirty? Is he still want to right. be the star of the team, or is he going to want to blend in with these guys uh, and be willing to take fewer shots? Is what it comes down to. And I question that. You know, I, I've said this and written this many times, but they have been a much better team when he limits his shooting. You know, when he takes fifteen or fewer right. shots. 21 and three two years ago when he took 15 shots or fewer. Similar track last year. But I don't think he likes to do that. I think he wants to put up 20, 25 shots. And they have a losing record when he does that, by the way. So if this team, with the offensive firepower they have, and, you know, Miles Turner has taken a big hit with his scoring. He's been yeah. willing to sacrifice. Uh, but you got to get the ball to Sabonis, and you got to take advantage of T.J. Warren, and Brogdon is going to have scoring opportunities. So Oladipo cannot come in and take 20, 25 shots on any kind of a consistent basis. And so my question, I guess, is, is he still want to do that? Does he want to be Victor of two years ago? Or is he willing to update his approach and be a different kind of player to make this team better? I saw this thing this morning that said that there was some internal discussion within the Pacers' front office and Nate McMillan as to whether they were going to sit T.J. Warren, or you got to be specific with the T.J.'s, or Jeremy Lamb when Victor comes back into the starting lineup. I always assumed, and I always thought it was the expectation with Jeremy that it was going to be him. I was surprised that they talked, if this is true, about maybe having Warren come as part of the second unit. Do you buy any of that? No, I don't. I've never heard that I hadn't thrown out there. I hadn't even thought of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, Lamb said from the beginning he knew that when he signed that you're going to be the starter until Vic comes back, and he's totally accepting of that. Um, and he did that last year in Charlotte, actually. He started the season, but about 50 games in, they wanted to play their rookie, Bridges, yeah. Cal Bridges, and so Lamb went to the bench, and he still played well, so... That's the value of him. He's a competent player, but he's willing to come off the bench or start. And he's been up and down lately, but I think he's going to be a good backup guard. So I got to believe it's Jeremy Lamb. Besides that, T.J. Warren's a small forward. Yeah. And you got to have him there. I mean, I wouldn't start Jeremy Lamb a small forward. No. So I think it's got to be um, Lamb coming off the bench, and I think he'll be fine with that. But it's going to adjust. You know, not only does Vic have to make adjustments, but you know, Warren's going to get fewer shots. Uh, yeah. Sabonis will get fewer shots. Somebody probably drops out of the rotation. Vic's going to get a lot of minutes when he gets in shape and gets going. And he's going to play 30 minutes a game at least. So that means somebody's probably not playing at all. And they've already got some pretty capable players not playing at all. So there's going to be a lot of pressure points here, a lot of stresses that they've got to work out. It was interesting yesterday listening to Nate because Nate's been a happy guy. It's never hard. I don't think it. Maybe it's because we've been around him for a long time now. He's been here for a while as the head coach and before that the assistant. You, you could read 
kind of where he's at with his level of enthusiasm. Yesterday, it seemed like there there's a part of him that sees this as a distraction against what has been working, and this kind of bothers him because they're rolling, and so this disrupts potentially that rolling. Maybe it helps it roll faster, but maybe it doesn't. And it seems like Nate would rather this all quiets down as quickly as possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think he knows that this is potentially a great thing, but it's uh, also a big challenge for him. You know, I think he's good at managing a roster. I think that's yeah. his strength. But he's got a lot of managing to do coming up because he's going to have to talk to guys about why they're not playing all of a sudden or why they're not playing more, why they're not getting more shots. Uh, it was clear to me yesterday he knows Vic has to take a different approach. You know, Victor cannot come in and expect to be uh, the victory of two years ago. And he's got a – that's probably a potential headache for him because Vic's going to want to be the guy. So I think he knows he's got some real challenges ahead. And I think he was kind of offended by the media turnout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Yesterday it was like, hey, where you guys been? 26 media yeah. people show up. Yeah. Usually it's a handful, right? We both did the same thing. We were both going one, <laughs> two, three, four. <laughs> and, you know, I totally expected that. And why wouldn't you come out if you're a local media guy for that practice? Obviously you right. would. But I can understand their point of view. Like, hey, we're here all year. Right. We we're surpassing expectations where you guys been, yeah. you know, and that's a distraction too that Nate has to deal with. Like, Vic's going to get all the media attention tonight. Is that going to bruise some egos? Yeah, right. Because like Brogdon went over to the other place. They've got the two places for people who don't know how it works. They've got two backdrops, and one guy will come here. And then they'll send another guy over there, and Vic's got everybody. And Malcolm, having been the guy who got everybody, he's all of a sudden got two guys. Yeah. The only guy that I would worry, or that I wouldn't worry about, is Brogdon. Yeah. With that, I mean, he is a really well put together, mature, twenty-six year old human being. He'll be a great assistant to Nate in this regard of getting Victor kind of broken in with this group. You know, I remember Malcolm's introductory press conference yeah. in the summer. He said that, hey, I'm here to make Vic an all-star, this kind of thing. He knows what to right. say about Val Vic's an all-star. You know, it's going to be great to have him back. I think he'll be really good at that. And I remember Darren Collison last year. Whenever Vic's name came up, uh, our, own, our, our all-star, you know, our best player. Our yeah. best player, Vic, isn't here, but we're still winning. It was always our best player, Vic. It's like they all feel like they need to, you know, soothe his ego a little bit and uh, cater to that, which is okay, but somebody's got to be able to tell Vic, hey, you can't be taking those shots, or right. you, you can't be taking 25 shots, you know, this kind of thing. I think Brogdon can do that. Brogdon and Nate together can do that and, you know, make him feel good, but show him there's another way to go about it, that type of thing. So, in the, the Pacer offense, when Brogdon's playing, is high pick and roll, right? So bonus right. picks for Brogdon, and more often than not, one of them gets a shot out of that. So what happens when Vic's out there on the wing now instead of Jeremy Lamb? Yeah. You know, he ain't going to be too happy to stand. Stand it by himself while <laughs> Sabonis gets 27. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, something's got to be done about that, and you got to make some adjustments to the offense. It's good also that they've got Justin Holiday to kind of help Aaron yeah. Holiday through this because Nate said yesterday this is going to affect Jeremy and Aaron Holiday, meaning I'm guessing that Aaron Holiday kind of gets pushed into, you know, Sumter land <laughs> at the end of the bench. Yeah. And Aaron, Aaron still, he feels like he's a potential starting point guard in the NBA 
and in order to make a lot of money, he's going to have to be that guy, and that just isn't going to happen here. Right. And what about McConnell? You got to play McConnell, right? right? You have well to. As he plays. So I think. I wonder how many guys Nate will play every game that isn't a blowout. You know, he likes to go nine. He's been willing to go ten. I'm almost curious now. You know, I, I got to believe he's going to find a, some minutes here and there for Aaron Holiday, McConnell. They're always going to play some. Uh, you know, Lamb's going to take the biggest hit, but there's going to be a ripple effect from right. that. You can't play Aaron Holiday and McConnell together as often now. Um, so there's going to be some sacrifices. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised in the back of his head if Nate is almost hoping somebody gets hurt, you know, that right. takes somebody out of the mix. Just a minor injury, maybe a, a rotating injury <laughs> where a guy misses three games here and then another guy. That'll take the pressure off of him. You can load manage a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you could. If a guy has a minor injury now, yeah. if it's if it's not, you know, Brogdon or Sabonis or whatever, you could probably sit down. It's almost to their benefit to have a, a couple guys hurt. And I think it would be a good thing. When we had uh, – when the Pacers lost the bonus for a little bit of time earlier this year, Miles Turner really stepped up and became much more active offensively. That would be a good thing for Miles Turner, I think, before they get to the playoffs to have a stretch where he gets to be that focal point that Domas has kind of assumed. Yeah, absolutely. And I, Miles is the one guy in my mind who might benefit from Vic being there because – He's kind of stuck in the corner over in what I call the George Hill zone. And, <laughs> and uh, Oladipo's got the quickness to penetrate, and I can see him kicking out a lot of passes to Miles. They don't yeah. really have that guy now. Guys will do it, but they don't really have that quickness Oladipo has to do it effectively. So Miles could start getting some easier shots with Vic being out there. Plus, Vic's going to bring up the tempo. Miles could run the floor well enough. Maybe he'll get some stuff in transition. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but... Maybe Miles will benefit, but <clears throat> hey, he's he's taking a little over little over nine shots a game now, fewest among the starters. Right. He may get a couple fewer now, so you know we'll see how that goes. They could go into the All Star break if they win six of these next eight, which isn't like beyond the realm of possibility. Right. They've got one road game up in Toronto, the rest are at home, and all but the game against the Bucks, and who knows what that's going to be going into because that's the last game before the break. Yeah. But if they win six, and they've got 36 wins before the All-Star break, how far does that exceed what your expectations were before this thing started? Uh, it does. My preseason prediction, and of course predictions are always based on having reasonably good health, and I thought Vic would be back before now. So yeah. my, my prediction is 52 wins, and they're on track for that, and they've done it without Vic. Yeah, I, I guess in the preseason, I would have guessed Vic would come back sometime in December. So <clears throat> they haven't really had good health because Brogdon and other guys in this games too. So they're ahead of where I thought they would be. And I'm not sure what's been better. I guess the chemistry came together quicker than I thought it would. They lost their first three games, but then they got it together. Usually new teams take longer than that. You know, to really yeah. get going. And this took three games. Yeah, zero and three, and that's it. You know, and we've talked before. Larry Bird's first team was two and five, and Larry Brown's first team was one and six. And this is like a coaching change. You have a new team, people trying to get adapted to one another. So uh, it's been good. Uh, I think Brogdon deserves a lot of credit for that. I guess he's been a better point guard leader type than I expected. Um, Sabonis has been Sabonis. I thought Warren would average about eighteen points a game because he did it the last two years. You know, in Phoenix. Uh, so they've been better than I thought, but not by a long stretch. And 
I'm just fascinated to see what they are with Old Depot. Really fortunate that they got that deal with Sabonis done, that extension, because yeah. how much more valuable is he today yeah. than he was the day before the season started? No question. no question whatsoever. I mean, just to have this guy locked down like they do is fantastic. I mean, the all-star team will be announced tomorrow, the backups, and i got to believe he'll be on it. He should be. Just, you know, as a double-double guy, he's just got to be. So... Uh, to have an all-star like that locked down uh, at a young age, at a, what is today a reasonable yeah. contract, yeah, that's huge. How, how much does T.J. McConnell's really interesting to me because he kind of, not to make it about race because it's not, he sort of looks and plays like the way we would play if we were as gifted as T.J. McConnell, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's not with, outside the realm of our athletic potential to play in the way that he plays. Um, is his contribution physically more important than his contribution psychologically? You know what I mean? Yeah. He brings such enthusiasm, and I think over the course of 82 games, didn't that lift you? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's kind of a dead heat because psychologically he does. He brings that energy and enthusiasm, but he always knows what to say. He's always pumping up teammates. You know, when we interview him, he's just talking about how great Aaron played or you know how great somebody is or you know how great it is to play for Nate you know everything's so upbeat yeah you know and he's got a great sense of humor you've seen it in casual conversation but in interviews he's very serious and very very you know company man you know but on the court he's just fantastic I love watching the half court offense when he's in the game because it starts moving you know he's exactly what you want a point guard to be one thing that people may not give him credit for, he's got NBA quickness. I mean, he is yeah, the right. quickest guy on the team, right? He can get to the basket. Uh, so he's not some little student manager type out there. Oh, look at <laughs> T.J. McConnell you know, getting to play now. Right. He's quick. And he has the coach's son mentality of, you know, moving the ball. And he, he gets the ball up court really quickly, so sometimes he catches the defense off guard that way. He can get into the lane. He keeps his dribble. So yeah. if you keep moving like Doug, like McDermott does, you're going to get a shot. If you just keep moving while he's out there keeping his dribble and exploring areas of the floor, he'll get you a shot. So you got to love playing with him. I think he's great, and I can't imagine what Philly was thinking in letting him get away. Right. If he's willing to be your third point guard, why would you not want him on the team? But I guess Elton Brand, I could see the thinking, I guess, that, well, he's not a three-point threat. He's going to struggle defensively. Against he does have one of the ugliest shots I've ever seen in the NBA. And how could that happen for a coach's son? How yeah, could a no coach's kidding. Son, you know, you're supposed right. to shoot like McDermott, right, or Steve right. Alford if you're a coach's son. And, man, McConnell holds the ball wrong and twists it before he lets it go. Sometimes he crazy. shoots on the way down yeah. and not like a fade. But just he's on his way. His shot is just different. Yeah. He, he's like he's the one NBA guy. Like I always think that good shooters are going to be good golfers. I got to believe T.J. McConnell is a terrible golfer. <laughs> I know McDermott's a really good golfer. McDermott's great. Yeah. Uh, Mc, uh, McConnell's just got to be awful. <laughs> I never talked to him about golf, but he's fun to watch and he's great yeah. to have in the locker room. I would never be. Uh, bothered if he starts games you know they, they'll win with him starting because the you know the offense is going to work guys are going to get shots they're going to have balanced scoring um, it's just been great to have him on the team he rewards he, movement he does. which is a great thing in a point card. my biggest criticism with the Pacers uh, not even before neighbors their half court offense is not as good as most teams the ball doesn't move you know that goes back to Frank Vogel 
Uh, but with McConnell out there, in Brogdon too, it's better with Brogdon, but with McConnell out there, it's great. Right. You know, they, they get easy shots, they get backdoor cuts, that kind of thing. And McConnell, I mean, I did a long story for the website on him and talked to his dad and everything, and those are two hard-headed guys. They used to go three, four days at a time without speaking to one another. Really? When TJ played for his dad in yeah. high school. Uh, because uh, this hard-headed, like, I mean, one anecdote, if you have time, is there was a game where TJ got in foul trouble and had to go to the bench in the first half, and the other team made a comeback. And so TJ's dad looks at him on the bench and yells at him, this is your fault because you're supposed to be in the game. And so when TJ went back in the game later, he actually got a breakaway dunk. He says he could dunk in high school. He barely can now, but he got a breakaway dunk, and he turned to his dad and yelled, how was that? <laughs> and his dad yelled back, you're grounded. <laughs> and, he, and so that night when TJ got home after the game, he says, I'm going out. And dad says, no, I, I said you're grounded. He says, you got to be kidding me. And they went back and forth. And, and dad knew he, he had overreacted, but he felt like he had a stick with what the penalty was. So they went like three, four days without speaking to one another until mom finally intervened said, hey, this is ridiculous, you know. So they went through that kind of stuff in high school. That must have been wonderful to be the mother and oh. the, the wife in the middle of, of that constant, I would imagine, constant fracas. Yeah. Where oh. you're always the peacemaker and you don't want to pick the side of this guy or that guy. What a nightmare. Yeah. But these days got a younger sister who's a senior now playing for her, their dad. And last I heard, they were undefeated. Oh, really? And, uh, you know, and headed toward a state championship, and I guess she is like a carbon copy of TJ. You know, I love, and we were talking before about the way this team is assembled. I, I just, like everybody that they brought in, as they would bring him in and we would talk to him, I thought, oh, this is a guy that I'd like to play with. You know, this is a guy you'd like to drink a beer with. This is a yeah. guy, you know, like, they just, they're, they're good people. You, you win with talent and length and athleticism and all of that. But if you don't have people who fit over the course of an 82-game season, that's a long damn time, and that can manifest itself in losses, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a good locker room. You can see it. They've had really pretty consistently good locker rooms lately. The, the last Paul George team was just meh. You know, they didn't hate each other, but there was no spark there. But they've had good locker rooms for the most part. Guys like Thad Young and Darren Collison have really contributed to Yeah, Thad to was those. terrific. And they have one now with a different group of guys. And uh, no question, McConnell contributes a lot to that just with sense of humor. You know, like I remember a game, a home game a few weeks back where Sabonis played really well. All the media is in there gathering on his, around his locker waiting for him to get dressed. And their back is to T.J. McConnell, 15 feet away. And McConnell looks over and says, I'll be with you in a minute, guys. <laughs> and, uh, and he made a similar comment yesterday, I heard, as people were waiting for Oladipo to come over. You know, he said something similar yesterday. I'll be over there in a minute, guys. Yeah. You know, and he's just got a great sense of humor. He's you know? the anti-Monte Ellis. <laughs> yeah. yeah you Monte Ellis, man. <clears throat> he was the worst locker room guy I've ever seen. Like, he, I, I was in there one time, and he's dressing down Miles Turner. There's all the media in there, and he's dressing down Miles Turner and Joe Young for having cluttered lockers, and he's MFing them, <laughs> and he's just in their grill screaming at the guy. I was like, damn, I, there's no way if I'm Miles Turner, I'm not walking over there and hitting the guy, <laughs> turning him upside down and stuffing him into his locker. Yeah, they got the same locker, too, don't they? Monte yeah, Ellis right. has the same locker T.G. McConnell has now, so... Yeah, and Monte, to me, he actually had leadership ability, but didn't always take it in the right direction. Yeah. When he got dropped 
in the starting lineup that he was pretty much done, I think. so. And he obviously had some off-court issues going, too. Yeah, which he uh, kind of elaborated on during his last camp, the last media day. He kind of opened up about how he was living a little bit better and yeah, a lot better, right. actually. That's right. Although it didn't that didn't result in improved play, sadly, but hopefully his life is better as a result. Wonder That's what he's doing thing. today. Don't you wonder, guy like Monte Ellis? He stuck around here for a year or so after. Well, his wife was in law school at yeah. IUPUI, right? Uh, at the she, was, she had been in law school, yeah. And uh, it seemed like he had his off-court life together. And he's one of those guys like Jamal Tinsley who three years later is going to say, man, I screwed up. I was an idiot. Yeah. You know, then he'll probably be just fine. You know, like Tinsley seems to be just fine now. And Monte Ellis may go off and do great things as well. But some guys, it just takes them a little bit too long to figure it out. It is hard to rebound from all the way down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you go all the way down, coming back is a tough yeah. thing. But if you if you fall a little bit and you correct after the little bit, you can get back to where you were. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't go all the way down. <laughs> um, so this 7 of 8 at home, I don't know. It, it, this is really more about wins and losses probably about how they go into the all-star break and how they look as a unit. Yeah, absolutely. you got to start building some new chemistry, a different chemistry. Uh, I don't know if they'll wait until after the All-Star break to start Victor. I think they just play it by ear and see how it's going. You can start working him in with the starters in practice, do more scrimmaging. I'm sure as quickly as they can, they will have him in the starting lineup where they yeah. feel it won't cost them any wins. Uh, that's the thing. You're in the heat of a really tight playoff position battle for home court advantage you know you can't be experimenting to the point where you're losing games because of it so you got to be really careful uh, but i would think no later than the all-star breaks certainly he'll be in that starting lineup okay let me ask you one more pacers related question because i am like i am a huge honk i feel like i'm goga batadze's agent <laughs> it is the level of honk that i am for goga what do you think about goga and his upside i like him i like him a lot because Look, he, his three-point percentage is not good, but he's got a nice-looking shot. He sure does. He's hit it in the past, so I'm assuming he's going to be a good three-point shooter. He just needs to get comfortable out there. Uh, he's, uh, he's got agility that enables him to block shots. He can score around the basket. There's nothing I've seen that he needs to be able to do that he can't do. And I felt that way going into the season just by watching the YouTube videos of him in Europe. He can do a bit of everything. So, And he's so young that he's going to do nothing but get better. So, yeah, I've got a, I'm really optimistic for his future. And at some point, it's probably going to create an issue where, okay, Goga's yeah. time is coming yeah. and uh, you can't start three big guys like that. So what's going to happen? It's Somebody's going to, to Wally Pippet, right? And then <laughs> Goga's going to come. And if he's ready at that moment, it's going to be yeah. really tough to get him back on a bench. Yeah. And I guess the, what we're really saying is it's going to put a lot of pressure on Miles Turner down the road, right? That is exactly what we're saying. He <laughs> <laughs> can put pressure on Domas, right. right? But can you play Domas and Goga together? Yeah. You can, because they can both step out. You can, but maybe not as easily as you can with Miles. So, hey, that's for two, three years down the road. But I think, I think that was a great draft pick. I've, I'm really optimistic about his future because he's got—he's very humble. He's got a great personality. He's got, from what I could tell, a great work ethic. He's not complaining over there about not playing more. Uh, right. So I'm, yeah, I'm really upbeat about his future. So we'll see where that goes. There was kind of a bloodletting up in Chicago. Let's talk about media for a minute. Uh, David Haw. Columnist, yeah. Indiana kind of background. I, where he he went to high school north of here, yeah. uh, went to college at Ball State, and and has done a great job at the Tribune for the last seventeen years. And so he's gone. 
it, it seems like outstanding work and and a following really doesn't mean anything anymore. Where are we headed in media? Print and electronic. Oh, I know. It's scary. It really is scary because if you start cutting a star columnist as a way to save money, as a way to improve your budget, you know, that's not going to sell more papers. That's not going to bring in revenue. You know, it's... Right. You know, it's the back backward way of approaching things. Let's cut costs and make things better that way. How about making your product better? Yeah. And selling more of it and get better that way. But that's they don't not think what, that way at all. You know, the corporations, you know, you've seen it in radio, of course, and it's true in newspapers. They're all owned by conglomerates, and their bean counters are in there. Well, we got to, you know, make some cuts. So this guy's got a big salary. Let's get rid of him. You know, they're not even thinking about what does that do for the quality of the product. Right. So that does not lead to anywhere good. I wish every newspaper and radio station in the country could be individually owned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and deregulation really changed the game. It did. It did. And it's not a good thing. It's just not a good thing. You know, and I'm more like a market capitalist. I, I think, you know, the strong will survive, but media has been thrown into this vortex where being strong isn't rewarded by Wall Street, so nobody looks to be strong. They look they look to cut in order to show profit because they've kind of thrown in They've thrown in their cards. They've kind of folded, and and they're just trying to they're trying to play anti poker, and they're they're never betting on people or their product or on the future. They're just they're they just want to sit at the table as long as they can. <laughs> they're publicly traded, and they got to worry about the stock price, right? It's, it's ridiculous. All about the stock price, yeah. And but you got to you got to make the product better. It's like a basketball team. You'll draw more fans if you make the product better. Right. You know, you don't want to own a franchise and. Well, I guess that's how Donald Sterling did it, right? He got rid of high-priced guys. No relation, guys. by the way. That's not his real name. So <laughs> I heard you were distant cousins. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, you just make the team better, and that's your best chance to break even or make money in sports. And it's not. Sometimes you got to get rid of a high salary, sure, if the guy isn't producing. Right. But you got to make the team better, and or if make the work suffers. Better. But that's not the way it is with Hall. Right. You know? Oh, absolutely. It works right. really good. Right. Absolutely. Always has been. So, yeah, how does that make, and what does that do for morale at the Chicago Tribune? Oh, my God. You know, where, hey, they just got rid of a guy who's really good. You know, what does that mean for my future? So that means everybody else there is looking for a way to get out, you know. Right. Another job. It's just a downward spiral, and I don't see the way out unless I think regulations are changed to where you cannot have these corporate conglomerate media groups that, are run by non-media people who are only looking at the stock price. And they know the people within that newsroom, or really any newsroom or any radio station, that it's not the quality of the work that determines whether you come or go, or stay or go. It's, okay, let's look at the Excel spreadsheet, and and let's add, I've been in meetings like that. Okay, we got to cut $160,000, and all we've got are people. Yeah. So what are we going to do? How do we cobble together or or more? Right. You know, we used to be able to kind of fluff up the the budget by putting promotional money in there, like TV campaigns, billboard campaigns that we really never had any any inkling we would ever actually be allowed to have. But mm-hmm. when they came back to us and said, cut a half million, there's our half million. Yeah. And then they got wise to it, and all of a sudden we were held accountable for firing people who were really important to us. And and so then what's everybody do? They start hiding under their desk and trying not to be the shiny object, yeah. refusing raises. 
how about that? Wow. We want to give you a raise. No, 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 no. I don't want to bubble up to the point uh, where I get lopped. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That isn't good for anybody. What do you think about the athletic as a business model, as a product? Oh, well, it's a good product. Yeah. It's good. Obviously, the overhead is much uh, lower because we're not putting out a print product. Right. Uh, so that helps. It's uh, all product-based. All the expenses product-based. Right, right. So I think it's got a chance. You know, I hope it makes it. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, things are always being tried, and they usually don't work, but this is one that I think could work, but I have no idea how they're doing. You know, if they're getting right. close to turning a profit, or I don't know what their financing is. They keep getting is. seed money. Yeah. I, they got another round of funding not long ago, I know, Okay. which is a great thing for everybody who works there, but how long is that sustainable? Right. You know, at right. some point, that dries up. It does. So, so yeah, it'll, but maybe that's the most hopeful thing we have in the media right now for for so-called print media. That's the most optimistic thing we have going right now, I think. Let's talk about writing. You, author of four books? Three books. Three books. Yeah. All right. And uh, all very interesting. And and all have sold at different levels, but all successful, which is terrific. Um, what's the, what's the, the toughest part for you about writing a book? Uh, just finding time for it. You know, because yeah. I'm not retired, you know, so you got to earn a living. And then you've got to, in your spare time, basically, keep a book going. And that's what's good about why what I do now. And it's really why I do what I do now. It's basically a part-time decision. You know, I, I, I'm a freelance writer who gets paid an hourly wage to write for the Pacer website. I'm not a full-time employee. That gives me time to do other things, and that's what I wanted to do. That's why I took the job in the first place, because I had these books I wanted to do. Yeah. If I'm working for the star or somewhere, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, I'm not going to do a book on the side. You right. Know? And that's what happened. I, the Pacers book I did on the formation of the franchise and how it got off the ground, I began researching that in the early 90s. But all those years I was the beat writer for the newspaper, I didn't have time to work on that book. Right. And when I had time, I didn't feel like doing it. So um, it, finding the time to do it and just stick, sticking with it, you know, just sticking with it uh, and seeing it through. And, you know, these the last book I did, the one I did for myself, basically, uh, the Pacers book, I was the publisher, so I didn't have a deadline, which is good and bad. Yeah, you know, right. There wasn't pressure. I actually did have a deadline because it went it out for the 50th anniversary uh, season for the Pacers. But if I had a like a publisher's deadline, this has to be in by July 15th. You know that puts a lot of pressure on you, but you may not get it done the way you want to get it done. You might sacrifice quality. So it's good and bad as far as the deadline, but just. Finding time to do it and then maintaining, you know, the pace of it and just keeping it going in all your waking hours and having an understanding wife, you know, as you know, you have to have that to uh, be doing all this stuff on the side when you could be doing something more fun. It was like riding or running a marathon yes. to me. Well, I would yes. imagine, I've never run a marathon, but I would imagine you get five miles into it and you think, holy <clears throat> crap, this isn't going to change forever. Yeah. You know, and I'm starting to hurt and, and how long is this? What is it like to run 26 miles and you just keep churning and you keep churning and you don't question and you go and you go and you go and then all of a sudden you kind of have what you hope is is a sort of a divisive communication yeah. that at least you can be proud of even if nobody reads it and I'm talking about my book if nobody reads it that's okay cuz I like it. Yeah. So I'm good with that. Do, do you do you choose 
topics that you think are going to spark sales or just that spark your interest? Uh, well, both. And, you know, I you know, certainly, because I went to Pacer Games in the ABA days, you know, I was interested in that that topic and the people behind the story. Uh, but I thought it would sell, too, because there's a built-in audience for the Pacers. There's a lot of right. Pacer fans out there. So I thought it was both. You know, it wasn't like I was going to put out a book of poetry or, or write a novel and hope people found it interesting. It was right. a pretty broad subject that I thought would have a that lot of That you're branded toward. Like you're branded toward yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, the Pacers have been what I've mostly done in the last 30 years, I suppose. So, um so it was both, you know. I mean, I, it was mass market appeal, I think, but it certainly was something I was interested in. You know, I, I did a book with Purdue. There's a big audience there. I did a book on the Indians, a smaller audience, but still a sizable built-in audience. Yeah. On uh, Max Shoemaker and his time with the Indians. So I guess it's both. You know, my my interest is sports. And there's a lot of sports fans, so it's not really a niche marketplace. Who's the craziest guy you ever worked with in a newsroom? Oh my. Oh craziest guy. Just like the uh, the TJ McConnell or the Lance Stevenson. Well, at the uh, star, it had to be Robin Miller at the star. Yeah. yeah. Certainly. You know, Robin's a great personality and probably has more friends than anybody in Indianapolis. Uh, but a wild card, you know, I mean, he got fired twice by the star, and I can't sit here and tell you it was unfair, you know. Right. And you know, a management problem. Uh, to deal with his type of personality, you know, screaming out profanities in the newsroom, stuff <laughs> like that. But a lovable guy who, you know, is a good-hearted guy and knows so many people. Uh, he'd be the the wildest, I guess. But there was a guy. My second newspaper job was in Fort Wayne at the Journal Gazette, and I actually took the place of the guy who had been the sports editor there. Uh, I didn't become sports editor, but uh, I, t- I filled the opening they created by firing him, and this was a guy who got fired because he um, was he had gambling debts, and yeah. he had debts to uh, the owner of a local racetrack, so to pay off his gambling debts, he was writing these real fla- favorable articles about the racing out at such and such track, you know, and you need to go out and all that kind of thing, so once they found out, they fired him. So what he did, and this is why when people get fired, they get escorted out of the building. People yeah. always think it's really cold to do that. <laughs> but this guy. Here's the reason. He, he got fired, like, in the evening. He came in the next morning to clean out his desk and leave. He logged on to the computer system and went into the agate type, the, the softball notes. Like there would oh, be a, there'll be a Class B tournament, such and such date at such and such a place. Right in the middle of that, this guy's name was Larry Stevenson. He wrote, Larry Stevenson is a blank and a blank. The most vile profanities you could come up with. Right in the middle, <laughs> right in the middle of the agate type, and he sent it up. And so this is like out of a movie. That night, the papers are coming off the press. One of the guys in the sports desk, he wanted to see if something he had sent up got in. So he's looking at it, and he sees it. He finds yeah. it. Oh, my God. They literally stopped the presses. They called the trucks that were delivering the newspapers back. The police went out and got the trucks back, and they kept that from ever getting out. No kidding. Unbelievable. But one guy, you know, people saved it, obviously, if they were working at the paper. I've seen it. Larry Stevenson is a blank and a blank. His plan was to say somebody else did it and sue the newspaper. That's how this guy's mind was. Wow. He wanted to file a lawsuit. 
Jeez. So, and then this guy became a scab at a newspaper in Pennsylvania that was on strike, and he went all around. He kept getting jobs. He was in Vegas. He was in Louisiana. He kept getting jobs. This is back when newspapers were healthier. Yeah. And he's passed away, I don't know, five, six years ago. But I only met him once, but total head case. Uh, he'd be the craziest as far as doing something truly crazy. You know, to bring it full circle, here's how or why radio people are led to the door. Because when we fired, when Emmis fired, I'm not going to say we, because he doesn't believe this, I don't think, given his behavior. Um, when Robin got fired by Emmis, Robin Miller, um, we let him on the air. And his last show was two hours of him ripping me a new ass. I had nothing to do with him getting canned. I was the assistant program director. I wasn't making any kind of decisions. But he came at me strong for two hours. How I was a kiss ass and how this decision was. I was like, what the what the hell is this? This crazy yeah. prick. Yeah. You know? Well he's been so. banned from the airwaves at different times too, I know. So, you know, he's done things to himself. But he right. does a lot of things to try to help people. He's he's you know He is I've never met anybody, you chap, Bruno, anybody who's worked with him, absolutely pledges by him. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, he's just a likable guy. He's the guy who will put together a, a dinner for somebody who just retired or got fired or something yeah. like that. And he does a lot of charitable things for people. Um, but he's just a little bit crazy. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks, Kent. This is worth uh, more than a bowl of soup, I think. <laughs> That's a bowl of soup and a, some Arnold Palmer uh, action. You got off cheap today. We're at McAllister's. This has been Sports Nothing But Sports for Wednesday. Wednesday, January 28, 2020, brought to you by the great people at today's dentistry, 317-849-2933. We'll talk to you tomorrow, breakfast with Kent, bright and early, 8 o'clock on Facebook Live.